to the North Group, security refined by intelligence. We're here to spotlight the best practices in critical safety and security issues in today's world and provide actionable strategies that you can implement into day-to-day -day operations. From the individual to organizational level, our goal is to improve your risk management and response capabilities. Thanks for spending time with us today, and here's your host. Welcome to the North Group Podcast. My name is Brig Barker, the COO and retired FBI agent. And with me, of course, is Steve Fernandez, the CEO of the North Group. Uh, in this episode, uh, we're going to talk specifically about duty of care, giving your business and household an honest examination. We've got a great guest today, Glenn Norling, who's a managing principal at TBR Consulting out of South Lake Tahoe, a beautiful place and also a retired FBI agent who I had the pleasure of working with for a couple of years, and former Air Force officer. Welcome to the show, Glenn. Thank you very much, Brig. Great to be here. Steve, do you want to open us up? Uh, we've got some great topics to discuss today. Yeah, Glenn, thank you for joining us. Um, you know, this is, uh, this is a trying time that we're in. Um, we, we have a lot to uh, I'm I'm excited to cover some of these topics and hear all about your uh, your expertise. So why don't we just get right into it and um, you tell us a little bit about your background? Well, certainly. Again, thank you very much uh, for for the discussion. I look forward to our our collective discussion today as well. Um, as Brig had mentioned, I, I'm a retired uh, FBI agent. as As part of my career and for the majority of my career, I was lucky enough to be involved in the FBI's crisis management program, which actually led to uh, a, a few years actually at FBI headquarters at, in our uh, critical incident response group in the crisis management unit, where we actually uh, educated the rest of the FBI and how to deal with critical incidents, how to deal with critical investigations, as well as doing the national level exercises, what used to be called the top off exercises, the top officials exercises, where we looked to how we would manage basically all hazards type of critical incidents from the FBI to the, to the national government down to uh, the state government and, and local governments as well through that. So a lot of uh, experience and time spent working uh, across the country and really around the world with uh, some of the experts out there truly in the, the crisis management field. And, uh, prior to that, I spent 10 years in the Air Force and I was lucky enough to be uh, spending about six of those years working in modeling simulation, which actually lends itself uh, very much to the training aspect of crisis management. And you can have some great plans and some great things, but if you don't train to those plans and if you don't understand those plans, uh, you're really not getting the benefit to that. So that's, that's a little bit of the background. And uh, as Brig mentioned, I uh, retired not too long ago from the FBI and I'm now the, the principal consultant for uh, TBR Consulting. Okay, thank you for that. Um... Tell us, uh, uh, what's, what's your overall take on people's response to this unexpected pandemic? Well, it's kind of interesting when you look at the overall response to this. And, and I do think this is certainly something that um, there are probably a few people out there that they predicted. Certainly the way that this has in such a short amount of time taken everyone's entire focus to this. I think we've had a lot of people that will say they thought they were prepared for, some, prepared for something like this. Um, but when in actuality, as it actually transcends around all of us, I don't know that necessarily any of us felt in a great comfort zone where we were truly prepared for this. I think one of the things we've found there's a general realization around the world as to how much we rely on other people, on other agencies to do our day-to-day -day business. You know, from, from here, I think one of the things that's really hit down to the core of everybody where you know, you, you've got this, the, this crisis type of shopping at the supermarkets, you've got, it's kind of, I think it's really hurt people or maybe at least affected people down to their core where those essential types of things that you take for granted as far as day-to-day -day living um, are in our minds, I think, at least in jeopardy. So this is this has truly affected everybody um, in a massive scale, uh, which I don't think we were really seeing. I don't think we would see something that would come that quickly to affect all of us as, as it has. I think a lot of people have found that their own personal level of preparedness, I've certainly taken some lessons learned from this already, but I think people have realized that their own level of personal preparedness is probably not where they want it to be. So, so that's, I think, my initial take on it. 
Do you feel that, you know, these, uh, the second and third order of this situation are, are going to, you know, have a rise in things like crime, vandalism, increased incidences of theft and, and, and robbery, um, knowing that, you know, civil disobedience locked out, you know, could lead to, you know, um, jobs lost, chaos, and chaos is the byproduct of uncertainty. So how, in your opinion, do we evaluate where that's going? And, and I think much like situational awareness is in its overall being, if you will, um, it's something we've got to evaluate continuously. Situational awareness is not you just, here's, here's what the situation is, we forgot that, figured out, and we move on from there. But it's something we need to continuously evaluate. And truly, as I said before, you know, it's really affected people down to their core. So I do think we're going to, as we have this remote push for remote businesses um, to try and operate, to try and go forth, where everybody's engaging in their continuity of operations plans and things like that, you are going to see an increase in small property crimes, crimes of opportunity, again, because we as I think a society are really affected down to our core. So there's a lot of times like this where you guys, as the saying goes, you have the helpers and you also have the takers in, in situations like this. So, so I think we are going to see an increase even as we start to bring back to what is going to be our new reality. I, I will say, you know, our, our reality of three months ago, I don't think we're ever going to return to that. Um, so you're going to see uh, continued, and this is not something that's going to heal itself. It's not something that's going to go away overnight. This is going to be kind of a long-term process to get back to, again, what, what's going to be our new normal. So there is going to be continued concerns and, and civil, civil unrest. There's going to be concerns about looking at it right now. We have curfews in place for certain areas. We have all these stay-at-home orders where people are, are concerned about how their civil liberty, liberties are being affected. Um, and I think those things, it, it's going to go through a process before we get back to, again, what, what will be our new normal. Again, we're speaking with Glenn Norling from TBR Consulting. Glenn, you mentioned we're in a new normal and, and in particular, we want to talk about duty of care. And duty of care, you know, from my perspective, is, is generally sad in that, that legal realm. It's kind of a catchword for lawsuits. Uh, you know, I'm familiar with one particular case where an individual went overseas, uh, was kidnapped, and then sued the employer for not providing training prior to, and that all fell under the duty of care umbrella. But my question is, how is duty of care going to change now? How are business owners going to view their responsibilities, I would say, now and then on the backside of COVID-19? Well, I think one of the one of the first things we're seeing is is companies now that have employees that have been working, say in the larger cities, San Francisco, and I know Brig, you and I were both traveling about the same time that this kicked off. I was in San Francisco, I believe you were in L.A. at the time, and companies are now dealing with okay, well, we have employees in an area where this pandemic is really affecting. What is our duty of care to those employees? Do we need to send them out to remote? areas so they can work from home? Do we need to provide some sort of training, perhaps equipping them for something like this? Again, how many, how many agencies, organizations out there even really knew what an N95 mask was before this? You know, that, that, that's one of the buzzwords these days. But I think some of that emergency preparedness training, I, I know there's a lot of companies out there um, in the larger cities that do a lot of emergency preparedness training. They, they do floor wardens and things like that. But this is probably something that we didn't really touch base on very much. And I think this will, this will affect plans going forward as to how we do that and how what, what's incumbent on the employers to provide some level of training, perhaps some level of education on these type of things. And then also to consider how quickly you might want to implement something where we send people home to work from home to get them out of the areas where we, we have something like that, whether it's, whether it's a pandemic, whether it's a chlorine leak, that's something like that that will go on for a while. So I think there's, there's some immediate effects as, as we talked about, but there's also some long-term effects and lessons learned we need to integrate into planning from that aspect. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's, that's all great stuff, uh, Glenn. That, that all makes a lot of sense. Now, I mean, to the business owner, um, if I'm a business owner or let's say I own a, a small to, you know, medium business, what should I be focused on 
at this point in time, I mean, let's say the government's ordered me to shut down my business, or let's even say we're essential. What, what are the focuses from a risk management standpoint? Um, and how do I maintain, you know, my assets, both in my office abroad? I mean, some businesses, they've got multiple locations. Um, how do I, how do I manage all of that from a risk management standpoint? Again, it's, it's just like uh, we touched on situational awareness before. We've got to really look as to what our situation is right in front of us, but especially for, for the small, really small to large businesses, anywhere in the middle there, you've got to be looking months in advance as to where we think we might be morphing to. But we've got to deal with what we have currently, taking some of the lessons learned with what we've already experienced over the past few weeks, trying to apply those to what we might see happening. I know here in California, we've talked about where, where do we believe COVID-19 is going to peak? What do, we, what do we believe? What do the models say about when it's going to peak here? Certainly business owners, regardless of where you're at, should take the type of modeling that we see out there um, those models, of course, as we get more and more data, they get better. You know, from, from the beginning models, we had a very small sample size. But as the models uh, become deeper, we start to get a little bit more insight onto that as to how we can actually plan six months from now. And that's going to be, of course, an evolving plan. But we've got to be able to try and figure out, and hopefully we've already done those continuity of, of operations plans where we've done that, that initial um, risk management. We've done the, we've identified the business processes that we know we need to have to go forward to keep our business running. And, and there may be some discussions where it, if you're not an essential business, that may be part of that discussion as to maybe we need to send everybody home. Maybe we need to take a break or here's the capabilities we can have when we send people to work remotely. But at the same time, we've got to make sure that we're securing information. Uh, of course, as we, you've seen a lot in the past few days just about the variety of platforms out there, how to secure personal data, which ones are, are possibly susceptible um, to some malicious behavior out there. How do we protect PII, personally identifiable information, when people working from remote, remote locations and provide some training for those folks that are taking, say, say laptops home, company laptops. Well, have that PII on. Now, that's one of the initial things we really need to focus on is how we're keeping that type of data secure, how we're keeping potentially damaging data to our company secure right now. And looking forward to, again, what I believe will be the new normal six months from now, a year from now, and we're really just starting to get into where continuity of operations plans are really just starting right now. This is not a, it's not a short term. It's not a sprint type of thing. It's a long term. We're looking at, you know, six months to a year out where we're going to have people still trying to figure out how to reconstitute that business. And maybe the reconstitution of that business is not entirely in one physical location, maybe like it was before. And especially once we start talking around the world, we've got to look at now with everybody um, in the consulting business right now, we're all looking at transitioning from a physical environment at the majority of the time to a virtual environment. What's the infrastructure going to be able to support that six months from now? And, and those are the type of things I would suggest we start looking at. Will you expound on the lessons learned? Um, because I, I think, you know, not that we completely after action review this whole scenario or situation yet, but there are pre-incident indicators of very, very we're going to learn here very quickly, I think. And can you just give us some of your insight on those? Oh, certainly. And I think one of the, the, the very first thing we've seen is, is how many agencies uh, from, from small to, to large said, okay, well, we're just going to go work remotely. We have people that, that telework, telecommute right now as it is three days a week. We're just going to transition that to doing that five days a week. Well, that makes a big difference. Uh, and how you actually facilitate that. Do you have the infrastructure? Do you have the data security for those type of things? So in addition to that, you know, it's how, many, how many of us are in a situation, we, we have two boys in a high school and my wife's a, high school, a middle school teacher. So, you know, I now have two boys that are going to school. We're lucky enough to be on spring break this week, but I have two boys that are now working from home. My wife, uh, who typically she and I share uh, an office at home, but my wife is working from home as well, too. So, so we've got to look at those type of environmental effects and say, how can we do this better? 
the next time this come around or as as different things similar to this affect how we might work at, at a workplace how do we make this more streamlined and i think we see as we're all looking at the news every single day, we try to pick out those nuggets. We try to find uh, those small victories, if you will. So here's how we could do this a little bit better, make this a little bit more effective, efficient. How do we keep that data secure? How do we have two of us working from home as well as uh, two, two kids going to high school uh, virtually all at the same time? And what type of infrastructures are out there to support those type of things? Looking at, again, I talk, talked about the, the modeling, what do we predict? What do we think it's going to look like? What, what type of things are going to be affected here in whatever state you're in, whether it's Michigan, whether it's California, where it's, where it's wherever around the globe, what is this affecting that you would typically have access to? Much like the grocery stores, is, is you, in some places you're still seeing how those things are affected, but trying to figure out how to work through that. And it's finding, finding the small, small areas where you can make a little tweak, make a little change, make things work much better for you, if that makes sense. That's great, Glenn. Thanks. Um, so in the theme of business owners, I want to ask you about really those brick and mortar businesses that are out there um, and, and in particular about the kind of the security spectrum and, and resources. I mean, at this point, do you feel that security resources are relevant or important? I mean, obviously, the in most places, uh, you know, the, the streets are sparse and there's not a lot of people roaming around. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I would say absolutely. And, and I would argue that I think they're actually even, even more at risk right now. You do not, as you've pointed out, and, and here in Tahoe, it's, it's the same thing. There's actually, uh, there's an order saying, don't come to South Lake Tahoe as far as travel goes um, here. But you don't have that day-to-day -day people that are going out, um, going about their normal businesses. Um, but you also don't have uh, the numbers of first responders. Uh, there's so many agencies out there that are that are compromised by by their number of employees that, that may they potentially uh, you know have COVID-19 or having exhibiting symptoms of that. Um, how many patrols have reduced their level of contacts with individuals? And, and from a law enforcement aspect, you know those those touch points where you're talking to people finding out what's going on, things like that, that's invaluable to digging to the next level where you may try to identify somebody from a traffic stop who's got a bunch of burglary tools in the back of the car or something like that. You don't have that interaction right now, so you're not getting that type of intelligence. So, so right now, you know, not only do you have you know, empty streets, as you mentioned out there, you don't have the number of law enforcement officers, deputies, agents that are out there on a day-to-day -day basis as you've had in the past. You don't have all those additional contacts from the community service officers and things like that. You know, most law enforcement agencies, as, as they're able to do with the resources they have, they've tried to increase their business checks and things like that. But, but fundamentally, right now, I believe it's a very risky security situation for businesses out there. So certainly anything you can do as far as remote monitoring. And I think lots of businesses are now realizing how comprehensive or perhaps not so comprehensive their remote monitoring capabilities are and things like that. So I believe there's, there's a definite concern uh, out there security wise for, for the brick and mortar type of businesses. But I, I would never forget the, uh, the computer information security aspect of that as well as we try to transition um, there's a lot of us that are, that are transitioning to the virtual world and a lot of people see that and a lot of people um, are trying to exploit just those exact things we're doing this where we're not normally doing it this way, uh, might step around a firewall occasionally, might uh, do a little bit less checking on who's hopping into the podcast room, who's hopping into the meeting and things like that, which, we, which there's a lot of concerns, I think, uh, broad spectrum wise. Glenn, we want to shift to continuity operations now. Um, so for, you know, businesses, for individual households, they've really been put in a predicament, uh, without little, you know, train up without planning for this situation with this pandemic. To me, it's almost like a soldier, uh, being shipped right to war without any training whatsoever. Um, I want to ask you, you know, we talk about continuity of operations, what should business owners, you know, CEOs, security directors be doing now? to realign their operations for the other side of COVID-19? I think right now you're, again, trying to 
neck that down or narrow that down to what are truly the critical business processes that you need to have to get to, to go forward in a day-to-day basis, just to keep the, the businesses alive and, and, and possibly, possibly even, even thriving in certain aspects. And really, I think starting to look forward is, is where we are right now. There's, there's a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel um, for some folks. Some people, I think, would argue vehemently that there's no light at the end of the tunnel anywhere yet. Um, but I do think it's incumbent on us to, to look in that going forward and say, okay, maybe there's ways, how can we make our business more efficient? How's things that we have, this is how we've always done it, the old saying out there, right? Um, this is how, how we've always done it. Well, again, we're gonna have a new normal out there. And to try to identify, we don't necessarily, maybe, maybe we don't need to reconstitute this particular aspect of our business or this how we did it before. We're doing this remotely and it's working really well for us. Or maybe with some additional infrastructure, we can actually move this aspect of our business in the future to a remote capacity. Now, how can we do things more efficiently, um, protecting our employees? And the, and the other aspect I really haven't touched on a whole lot about is the personal effect um, on employees out there. There are employees out there that are still scared. Uh, they don't know what the future holds for them. They've been personally affected uh, by people who have been sick in this, perhaps people, people that have passed away in this. And it's something where employers need to really look at their employees to see how they're doing. They may not be an employee for that company in six months based on their interactions with how the company has supported them or not supported them uh, throughout that. So that's something... Every company's lifeblood is their employees, and they've got to be able to provide some level of, whether it's education, support, something like that, to keep those people as employees in the future. So that's, that's something, it's, it's important not to forget that when we start talking about business processes, is supporting the employees, um, and that's something we can do right now. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a very sophisticated thing. Those can be just some type of online check-in with people, seeing what they need. Some, if you want to do some kind of a survey, you could do something like that if you got a small company. Hey, what do, you, what do people that work for us need out there? How can, is there a way that we could fill that gap in the meantime? But how many companies do you see that are now able to readjust their production, their process to produce things that the first responders need out there? So I, I think it's all about adaptability and flexibility at this point. Yeah, absolutely. So with 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 everybody being overwhelmed with the COVID nineteen coverage and and everybody being inundated by what the news is telling them, um, what you know in our world, what we call open source intelligence is telling them. Um, I heard something the other day about raw intelligence is the most dangerous kind of information when it's unvetted. Uh, and I and I think that, you know, America and 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 our community, everybody's trying to gain as much access to accurate information. But we know from you know past experiences and your guys' backgrounds and everything that um, IO campaigns, information operations campaigns, are are heavily uh, uh, used by foreign opposition and and, and different groups. Um, we call it psyops on the good guy side, um, but there's there's a, a piece here that really stresses, you know, uh, me out as a risk consultant because I feel like when I talk to people, that disinformation is driving uh, fact-based thinking. And and what's your thoughts on that? What's your thoughts on, you know. Uh, what I call self-risk assessing, um, whether you're a business or an individual, how do you apply that to everyday life? Well, and I think you, you've pointed out one of the challenges out there. There is so much information out there right now. And how do you pick and choose for what you feel you know, is, is accurate information? It's tough to discern the accurate information right now, as, as we, we've talked before about, about the different modelings for, for when the pandemic is going to peak in certain areas and things like that. Well, again, those, those things continue, continue to evolve as we have better sample sizes and, and better information to that. But what news channel can you turn to right now, whether it's a channel, whether it's online, however you get your news, that, that's not the, the first story. And, and of course, that's what everybody wants to hear about. But there's just so much information out there about it. 
And trying to vet that information is so difficult right now. Because you have just, just such an onslaught of information coming from around the globe. And certainly there are going to be countries out there that are trying to use PSYOPs, as, as you mentioned before, to how to influence that. How do we um, perhaps target the United States and the information that's being pushed around out there? How do we, how do we subtly do that so nobody really notices um, in the first place? But it's very difficult to try and vet the information that's out there. And I think it's with, with what we have now for our, really our 24 hour news cycle, we, we, you can just, you can just put on the TV, you can just put on the internet, um, pull up a website and just sit there and watch and watch and just get wrapped around that. And you really don't move anywhere. You're just like, you're just, you'd be even balder than I am uh, right now, as far as you start thinking about all these type of things, but it's, but it's important to, to take those with, you know, the proverbial grain of salt out there and understand and try and make sure that you're getting information from what you believe to be credible sources. And when you start to do a, a self-risk assessment, I think it's important that you engage those trusted partners you have to say, okay, here's, here's how I see how things are affecting me. Here's how I see I'm doing. What do you think? You know, and, and trying to have, have those tr trusted partnerships out there. You know, I have several law enforcement officers that I, that, that I deal with frequently. We kind of bounce these ideas off of each other and have kind of that, that trusted group as to say, hey, am, am, I, am I off my rocker here? Is, is, am I taking this in a different perspective? Uh, what have we do? And having those type of support mechanisms to help you because in this world right now, where we're being significantly influenced by, by what we see in whatever media type of outlet you're seeing, whatever reports we're reading, you sort of form your own ideas. And it's important to bounce those ideas off of other people to make sure that you're not kind of getting that skewed perspective. Um, so I think that's those trusted partnerships are, are really to capitalize on right now, I think. So when you reference, um, you know, having your network, having, having sources, relying, vetting, what do you do? Um, I mean, so we, we go through the intelligence cycle, right? Um, and I'm making a circle with my hand. Um, how, how do we, how does the average, you know, uh, consultant or, or high net worth family manager or one of these folks, how do they take that and perform risk analysis and, and, and those, I mean, could you just walk through your own internal process? Like mine is, um, you know, risk equals threat times vulnerability divided by countermeasures times impact. And I literally walk through that uh, with every opportunity, whether it's, you know, corporate risk or executive protection or kidnap and ransom, whatever the case is, every, every, everything gets that um, lens, I guess I'll say, uh, over it. So could you walk us through kind of how you do that and, and maybe help listeners understand what their process should be? Right. And, and it, I think that's a great, great process that you outlined there. But, but it's, again, back, back to kind of our, our situational awareness is we, we take information in about what, what we see as our situation around us, what's influencing that, what's affecting that, what can we do to minimize those risks. One of the things I've done for the Bureau for the past several years is I do active shooter awareness. And it's a very similar type of thing like that. One of the things in that particular aspect is I think one of the riskiest times when people are changing from, say, in a classroom, in work, going out to their cars, something like that, simple like that. What's everybody do when they're doing that? They get on their phone. <laughs> Who's texted me? Who's messaged me? What, what voicemail? In the times where they have these junctures where you're moving from one place to the other, and perhaps you should have the highest level of awareness about what's going on, what's moving around you, are typically the times that people have the least awareness about what's actually happening around them. So I think having a process and trying to put together, as you had outlined there, a, a pretty objective process to how to actually go through and do, but force yourself to do that. Look around, see, okay, at this point, you know, at this point where I am, say, say in, our, in our household, what vulnerabilities do we have? We've got everybody here, you know, we're, we're chasing the cats, we're herding the dog, all those kind of things around the household. But let's think about that. You go out and walk the dog. Okay, so there's nobody on the streets for the most part. How much do you really pay attention to the cars you wouldn't typically see in your neighborhood or things like that? And it's, it's that fundamental process from going to the grocery store. You know, are you paying attention to when you go out to put your groceries in the car? Um, putting that type of basic process um, in place. You get the information about what's going on. Okay, what's, what's the latest mess? How, how many different, gosh, I think today, how many, how many different 
how-to videos that I see today about how to make an appropriate um, ad hoc mask um, from, you know, from, from the Surgeon General folding some, some cloth to here's all these things to different companies making things with 3D printers for the general public, for our first responders out there. But okay, so how do I apply that to my particular situation? And how do I, you know, what's, what's my level of risk? Do I go out? Am I, am I self, you know, self, self quarantining at the house? Well, maybe if I do go out, that's something to consider, but trying to identify and how to mitigate those levels of risk when, you know, when, when, when the FedEx driver drops off a package, what's your process to go out there? Do you, do you pay attention? Do you have any cameras outside to look around what's going on? If you're uh, on an executive protection detail, you know, where, where is your principal going? You know, look to those places and see how those areas are being affected. Is there some social unrest in certain areas where maybe you're transitioning to or thinking about driving to because you have to have, because you have a doctor's appointment that you can actually do in person and not virtually like you do. But, but having that process and, and trying to get as much information as you can about what you're planning to do what the level of risks are and how can you try and avoid those? Maybe the best way to avoid some of those is, is just change that, make, make a different process and don't be afraid to change that. We're, we're seeing a lot of different things where you can really minimize our risk by changing our process fundamentally. But just exactly as you laid out, having, having a, an objective process to go through and identify those risk areas in advance is really what you want to do. Again, we're talking with Glenn Norling from TBR Consulting. Uh, we're talking about duty of care, and we're wading into kind of the risk management realm here in our discussion. Um, and, and Glenn, I'm going to put you on the spot with a pretty direct, uh, linear question. Uh, and you know, I fall back to the military. If you're if you're doing these three things right, you know, shoot, move, and communicate. Usually, you're fairly successful. What would you say are the top three things each household should be doing right now or considering into the future? Well, certainly. And, and I think there's, there's some very fundamental things. So the, there's a lot of this that's really not rocket science right, at, right out there. But, but the very first thing is, I think it's important for every household to check in with every household member's emotional state. Um, that's something uh, we're all home, spouses, children, stuff like that. We take a lot of that for granted because but we're truly in an environment we have not really experienced in many of us in our lifetimes uh, before. On it. So I think, first of all, kind of checking in to see where everybody's at. Um, make an, the second one would be make an assessment of where we are in our family, home, personal preparedness. Um, if, if we didn't leave the house for two weeks, how hard would that look for based on what you have in your particular household? Um, and then look at the layers of security we have around. You know, what, what single point of failure, what critical points of failure do we have that we really that would drive us into perhaps being forced to endure a larger level of risk than we're comfortable with? But looking at, you know, seeing what we have as far as, you know, so, okay, we're in a situation now. What if we lose power for a week? What's our plan? What if we lose water for a week? What's our plan? Um, is there a plan? Are we, are we throwing the kids out in the tents and, and getting back in, digging out into the Boy Scout gear? Um, but what, what capabilities do we have? So the, first of all, that emotional check-in with everybody, see where everybody's at. Let's get everybody on the same page. Kind of see where we are secondarily in our level of preparedness. And then third is, is kind of do that additional risk assessment to what our layers of security are surrounding the home. And that's, I, I would say those are my top three. All right, Glenn, I'm going to ask you to reach back into your, your Air Force time. Um, you know, the Air Force puts on the really the gold standard uh, SEER school for folks to learn what it's like to be in, in captivity and isolation, how to survive. Um, so I want you to talk a little bit about what you've learned through the years, you know, whether Air Force or FBI on isolation and, and surviving through austere times such as these. Well, you know, I, I would certainly say that uh, the most uh, in, in the Air Force, you know, my most austere times were not when I went to the uh, to the officers club for breakfast in the morning, as, as you had pointed out before we started talking about all this. Um, but it's all about mindset. Having to survive in a situation where things are less than optimum, it's it's really there's a little bit of technical preparedness that you can do and some things to, to have the tools that you need. But it's really, truly about mindset. How do you 
survive through this with a positive mental attitude, your mind can do great things for you or it could do things to you that you don't necessarily want. But it's the same thing as I touched on it. This is, I talk about this a lot with, with active shooter. It's you're, you can do amazing things, but you've, you've got to have that mindset where your mind says, yes, I absolutely can do this. So I think that's one of the biggest things is how to get through this. And that's, that's why I started with that, that emotional check-in with people in the family as to let's see where everybody's at. Let's get people fired up. Hey, we got this. I don't need somebody else to come rescue me. We're rescuing ourselves. Um, so that's, that's, I think one of the, one of the first things to start with. And Steve did, I thought I saw a hand. Did you, did you want to chip in on this? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're speaking my love language right now, um, about mindset. It, it is, it's every bit of what I love to talk about because I, I think that there's, uh, there's, there's, there's the, there's the toolbox theory, right? I mean, what's in your toolbox? Uh, I think that I'm pretty sure that comes from like Marine Corps guys. Um, but there's a, uh, there's a big deal in my, and in, in, I guess in my mind, doesn't matter what I'm doing. doesn't matter whether I'm going to um, a, a, a birthday party. doesn't matter whether I'm taking my son out or I'm taking the garbage out. I always, I always have had a weapon on me since I was, you know, 19 years old, really. Um, and, you know, there's always a mentality in mind that something could go wrong. Um, and I guess it's funny because my wife and I got into several deep conversations when this all started. And she thought I was off my rocker um, because January you know, 10th, I started saying, hey, you know, we need to do this, this and this and this. And she's like, that thing's in China. That's not a big deal. Um, you know, and, and now she's happy that she's married to me. But um, I really think there's, a, there's something to be said about having a mindset, a resilient mindset, um, you know, whether that's faith or whether that's having something bigger than yourself to believe in. Because I think we, we do have a mental illness crisis in America. Um, I, I think that's affected, you know, our world's law enforcement. Um, it's a, definitely affected in the military world, right? Um, with post-traumatic stress and, and all these things. So, I, I mean, what is the second and third order effects when it comes to mental health? And I mean, in the last, and, and I'll finish with this, the last, I would say I've talked to some very resilient business owners, veterans, not veterans, wealthy, um, semi-wealthy. They're all very nervous. Um, some folks that I've talked to, I never thought I'd hear the panic that I hear in their voice today. Um, and I think you're spot on with the mindset. I got to give you that because that, that's, that's a big deal. That's an absolute big deal. Now, let me ask a question though. When it comes to mindset, how bad can it really get? You know, we, we tend to ask ourselves and, and what does that look like? Um, can you talk about maybe an experience in, in whatever capacity you can where it got bad and your mindset was a survival mindset? Can you, can you give our listeners an experience there? Well, and I think you can, I, gosh, I, I think about a kind of a, a spectrum of different things where you talk about, you know, I, I think one of the things that has been kind of a constant throughout my life is preparedness. That's why as a kid, way back in the day, I embraced the Boy Scouts. Uh, I, I was all about that. And there are so many lessons I, I learned from the Boy Scouts uh, that, that translate into to my, my level of personal preparedness, how, how that translates to with, with our boys and my wife and, and other family members and things like that. Thinking back from you know, perhaps the first time you, you, slept, uh, you slept out under the stars, not in a tent as a Boy Scout. Perhaps you spent a weekend with only minimal food, doing, doing some work through some of the programs that the Boy Scouts had back in the day, um, things like that. So it's, it's a lot of introspection, and that's that's really and and one of the things we see here up in Tahoe. Quite frankly, we have a lot of search and rescue business up here. Um, that that's one of the other things that that I volunteer with with up here is you have people that um, come to situations. We've got big wilderness up here that, that people aren't really ready to come and do that and not prepared mentally, um, don't have the technical knowledge or perhaps the, the equipment they need. So I, I think about some of the times up here. It's very interesting with, with the amount of weather and the amount of wilderness we have here, um, 
how do you do that? How do you get stuck somewhere? How do you, when you get lost, what's the first thing? You stay put. So then you've got to take a little bit of time there and, and wrap your mind around what your situation is. Uh, that's one of the challenges you see there. So the first time you've ever been lost, what do you do? Okay, sit down and think about it. You don't run around trying to find the nearest hell side, you know, drop all your equipment behind you and go running off some way because you know you'll be able to turn around and find all the stuff you left. And all of a sudden the trees start to look really strangely similar um, after a while. It's those type of things where you really, when you get to that situation where you're, you're uncomfortable, and I agree with you, there are a lot of people that I consider to be stone cold survivalists that are scared right now. And how, because a lot of this, there's a lot of this, if you, see, if you see a threat coming at you, you see somebody coming at you with a gun, that's something you can go deal with. But here, this is something that you don't see it. You don't know exactly where it's coming. We don't really know how it's necessarily being, we're getting more and more information on that, but you don't know how it's necessarily being passed around communities to deal with it. So I, I think the closest example I'll give is, is some of those type of survival things. You're out there. Okay, you, you need to keep your wits about you. You need to gather your wits together and figure out what your plan is. Your plan's got to be flexible, but you've got to start with that plan before you start running around, burning all your energy, ruining all your tools and everything like that. So I think that's, that's something that in a pandemic, this is sort of a, an unseen, unknown enemy that we're facing with. And a lot of people don't deal with that so well. And I think that's, I think that's what we're all seeing right now. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on. In fact, one of our employees said in a meeting the other day, um, knowing how to survive is technical, but surviving is emotional. And, and when I heard that it, it was, you know, <laughs> with knowing that, you know, chaos is the byproduct of uncertainty and, and there's more, more uncertainty now than I've ever seen in my entire lifetime. Um, you know, I mean, I think it rivals 9-11. It rivals, um, you know, I mean, anything I've seen in my lifetime. I just, I can't compare it to anything. Not combat, not war. Um, I think that level of uncertainty. So where do you think, um, and I want to touch on this because I think it's very important. Where do you think aftercare is going to feed into uh, the cleanup of this um, as far as, you know, our, our company is going to have to um, watch their employees more closely. Are, are we looking at, you know, outside panic buying? Are we looking at desperation? Is that, is that going to start to fuel? Um, and I think it all starts on the mental side. But when, when it moves over to, I can't get this, I mean, what, what are we looking at as a whole? I mean, you, you've got you know, years of experience with crisis management, what are we looking at as a nation and, and how, how bad could that really get? Yeah, and, and I think it is going to get worse before it gets better. And I think it's important, again, from, from an introspection side, that we start to think about that a little bit. But I think the aftercare um, is going to be very significant. And it's kind of that fundamental adjustment to where we're aiming for, again, six months from now, a year from now, what have you, that reality is going to be different than what our reality was, say, four months ago. Uh, we're never going to get back to where we were. And I think aftercare is going to be such a large part of that. How do we get together as a nation, as <laughs> really around the globe, how do we support us in getting back to what will be our new normal um, in doing that? Um, certainly, we see as we learn more and more about the traumatic brain injuries our, our soldiers, sailors, and airmen um, are dealing with long term. It's this is not a quick fix. It's something that's going to be taking us working together for quite some time. Because you have those people that are doing the panic shopping; they're rocked to the core right now, and you don't just bounce back from that. Some people now, some people, many of those warriors out there will say, "Yeah, I, I'm fine. I'm good." And you got to dig deeper than that. Um, because that's something that people are affected by this. And, and that's going to have to be a significant amount. As, as we talked about, you know, that little bit of touch points, taking care of your employees, checking in with them to see where they're at is going to be huge going forward. Um, but we've got to look at it. I, I think it is gonna, it's going to look bleaker before it gets better, but we need to kind of start celebrating 
for our minds, for that mindset. I think we need to celebrate some of the small victories here and there. Here's things that, that worked out for us. Here's just some of those simple type of things. How do we take care of our neighbors? And I think we're, we're learning in general just how small the world is, how quickly this pandemic is really spread around the globe. And you see the charts of, okay, so here is, here is this particular conference that people went to. And here's the effects of where the people that went to this conference, this is how this spread around the world. Um, so we truly see that the global, the global community that we're in is really small and how much, what happens on the other side of the world, that's really not that far away in this day and age, um, how we deal with that. But yeah, that's, aftercare will be, will be a huge part of this and it's going to be a slow road. It's not a quick fix. We can't send, <laughs> send somebody to a, to a two hour virtual uh, webinar uh, on how to repair yourself emotionally. But I think what we'll see is a significant jump in our own personal level of preparedness that we're now going to be comfortable with in the future. Uh, we're going to understand a little bit more, uh, perhaps about the pandemic. It wouldn't surprise me. You start to see some some people that are prepared for just about anything have a little bit more preparation for something like this. I don't. I don't think a, a lot of us really thought that much about these type of things that, that might and how quickly that might permeate around the world. So I think, you know, having some path to this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to be better braced for something like that in the future. Will give you that positive mindset. Give you that something to move towards, rather than thinking we're just moving away from this. Well, we're going to take this, we're going to take the lessons learned, and we're going to try to apply that to the future. Great, Glenn. Thanks for that. I want to shift to bug out bags or what we would call emergency preparedness, uh, you know, bags that have equipment, you know, uh, you know, food items, uh, storage of water, things like that. I remember when we lived in Washington, D.C., my wife put together uh, a bug out bag for a car, we kind of develop a plan, you know, in case something happened in Washington, D.C., because, you know, it's always considered to be a potential target by terrorists or criminals. They had the D.C. sniper case there. Um, but I've always found myself kind of in the middle. You know, as we look at, uh, you know, uh, we talk about red, yellow, green, you know, red being someone who's paranoid. Um, green is, you know, living in full naivety. You know, yellow is that relaxed awareness. And I, I do think naturally I, I kind of migrate to that. But specifically about a bug out bag, what would you say uh, every family should have in a bug out bag? Um, and, you know, should they fill up their vehicle with gas, you know, every couple of days? What are your thoughts on that? Well, certainly the, the gas tank uh, particular point sounds like a discussion I have, I think, probably daily with my 14-year-old uh, and, and try to, uh, my, my now 18-year-old, I try to um, encourage him to, to work on that. But, but there's, there's some fairly simple things that you can really uh, have prepared in, in, in a bug out bag, uh, whatever you want to call it. One of the things we do see, a lot of people have a lot of stuff, but it's in 27 different places around the house. You know, when, when the power goes out, there's like, Okay, where's the flashlight? Where's this? Where's where's that portable radio and things like that? But you think about what are the things that you truly want to make sure you maintain communication. So when the power goes out, and and I'll use that particular example because that that happens here in Tahoe fairly frequently due to generally due to due to the good the good winter storms we have here every once in a while. Do you have a way for the house? Do you do you have a generator? Do you have something that's built in? Do you have propane? Do you have something like that? Um, now, of course, those resources aren't available to a lot of people, but think about some fundamental things for communication. You've got a cell phone. Um, depending on what this particular situation, you may or may not have continued cell phone service, but that's a communications tool. Do you have a way to charge that? Um, if it's from a, perhaps you know, just something, a plug from your car, um, do you have some rechargeable batteries? Do you have a way to see if you can't see some, some, some sort of light, something like that? Um, and I would say probably, I think one of the most important things uh, as far as a bug out bag or any type of preparedness is, is some, some quality first aid. Do you have a tourniquet? Do you know how to stem bad bleeding? You know, there's, there's, there's a, there's a movement out there. It's called stop the bleed. Uh, that is about an hour and a half free course given by many fire departments, many hospitals and areas, not right now, of course, uh, but it teaches you how to stem bad bleeding. That's one of the things we learned from all these active shooter incidents we we've dealt with is you can really minimize the amount of deaths by being able to apply a tourniquet properly, being able to stem bad bleeding. So I think one of the most important things is a little bit of first aid gear like that. Tourniquet, something to stop bad bleeding, and educating the mind 
giving some education in advance about here's here's what you would do in these situations. These are kind of the situations where if, you, if you've never seen um, bad bleeding, you've never seen something like that, um, it's hard. It's hard to step back into that and say, okay, here's what I need to do. One of the things I think about my father, my father was a uh, American Red Cross uh, instructor, instructor uh, for that. But so my dad could, you could, you could have any sorts of medical issues, dad be handled, but, but if he saw his own blood, it was like, dad, come back to reality. Come on, come on. It's, it's, you're not seeing the light. It's okay. Um, you, you've got to think about some of those things in advance. So I, as much, you have tools like that. So communications tools, first aid tools, water. Um, people talk a lot about food and I think that's very important for, for extended duration, but a lot of people kind of forget water. Um, how important water is. It's something you need yeah, something you need within hours, um, the ability to either have, have a stash of water or a way to, and I actually like both of these, have the ability to um, make water that you can drink. So whether it's chlorine tablets, whether it's a type of filter, whether it's a UV filter, there's, there's all sorts of tools out there uh, to do those type of things. So, and, and, in, and the last thing I would say is, is some, level, some way to signal people, whether it's a whistle or something simple like that, and some way to keep warm, some type of improvised shelter. Um, and I don't, I quite frankly, but again, I'm the preparedness guy. You know, I, I drive my wife nuts with tourniquets, um, fire extinguishers, and flashlights. And I think there's basically just about everywhere, whether you're in a car, whether you're in your workplace, there should be a bag right there. Um, really, really within easy reach of you to have some of those basic tools like that. I don't think it's overly expensive to do something like that and what you can do to, to, to save yourself. And again, I think that's, that's a real key thing for the mindset. Think about what you always think about what you can do to save yourself, not what somebody else is going to do to save me. So those, those would be kind of the starting things I would go with. Yeah, no, that's, that's great stuff, Glenn. I, I think that it's, it's funny because we could talk for days on prepping, right? I mean, on, I mean, I've got I, to the point where I used to carry a handcuff key uh, in, in a zipped up belt in the back of my belt. I mean, like I, I'm that guy. My brain's worked like that probably since I was a little kid. Um, you know, I, I think one of the things that people struggle with, right, we saw it with the panic buying. Um, I hope everybody has toilet paper. We'll remember the toilet paper crisis of 2020. It, it's, it's one of those things where how, how does one, you know, we say combat pause from the world we come from, right? Take a combat pause whether you're hitting a door or you're going after a bad guy, whatever you're doing, that combat pause could save your life, could save your family's life. So how do you, how do you recommend people evaluate um, the crisis uh, and, and start to take that pause and understand exactly, you know, I mean, they, people don't need to draw $10,000 $10, out of the bank, right? Um, you know, I mean, it helps to have cash on hand and things like that. Uh, they don't need to, uh, they don't need to do, you know, unnecessary measures. So it, it's, how do you suggest people prioritize that, that bug out strategy? Um, and before you answer, I'll just give you kind of what, what I, what I do. I mean, I've got seven different bug out bags. I've got them for the corporate EP world. I've got them for, you know, I mean, I've got so much. I've got one for my two and a half year old. I've got one for my nine year old. I've got one for my wife. I've got one for desert, one for woodland, uh, one for overseas, one for domestic. Um, all of them have a thousand dollars or more cash in them. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, so that's a big feat, right? But we're in a world where that matters. Uh, and I might have to grab that bag and go, but at the same time, how do I, how do I part, if I'm just average Joe, right? Or if I'm a law enforcement officer, um, you know, how do I prioritize? Can you, can you talk through that? Cause I think that's really important. Well, clearly you, you and I are uh, birds of birds of the same flock uh, out there, but yeah, it's, I have this similar discussion with, with, with my wife and other folks in, in my family quite a bit too. It's, you don't, um, it's easy to, prepare and over-prepare. Um, one of the challenges in that too is everything that you're looking at, you've got to be flexible. All your plans have to be flexible. Um, you mentioned you've got the desert bag, you've got the woodland bag. Um, 
Well, what if you're in the desert and you actually need something that's out of that woodland bag? Um, so that's one of the things you know, I see out there is some simple preparedness, you know, from, from shelter, from way to get water, from way to deal with first aid, whether it's from a car accident, whether it's, you know, you, you, you said the heck with it, I'm off the grid, I'm going off into the back country uh, to break your leg, something like that. How do you do with it? How do you communicate with, with, you know, your loved ones and things like that? So it doesn't need to be maybe, I, not, not that I might have a, a hundred pound bag out there uh, that has also cool stuff in it, um, but it's trying to prioritize, you know, what, what your normal activities are, or what do you anticipate your activities being, and trying to narrow things down to that. It's more stuff, I, I'm a gear guy, more stuff I think gives you more tools for that, for that toolbox out there, uh, but you gotta know how to use them. Now you can go out and buy the best survival kit from, from REI or somebody like that, but if you don't know how to use the stuff in it, it's not really gonna do that much good. Uh, but just try to narrow that down to what your activities, where, where you are in the country. Is it summer? Is it winter? Um, and just start with some basic things. And then more so than the equipment, I think it's that knowledge. Try and educate yourself. Take a wilderness first aid course. Take something like that. Take, take a class in, in how to survive, how to, how to cook food. You know, do, do, do you microwave everything? You know, how do you cook it on an actual stove or something like that? Um, so I, I would kind of prioritize on what you anticipate your activities coming up soon are, if that makes sense. Well, I'll have to confess, I'm not a pack light freeze at night guy. I certainly bring all my pairs of shoes wherever I go. But um, I want to shift to communications with you, Glenn. Um, you know, as they say, it's the first thing to go in the middle of a crisis. Uh, I'd like you to talk about some best practices as to what should companies watch out for as far as communicating on, you know, the Zoom, the go-to meeting platforms, you know, using encrypted apps, things like that. Um, how can a company protect their intellectual property, their servers, et cetera? And that's, that's certainly one of the challenges. I think a, a lot of people right now are realizing just how much of their remote networking infrastructure may be based all about the world. Um, and they don't really necessarily have, have ready access to it. You know, certainly there are lots of us that are out there looking at say, how do I do this traditionally in person type of training? How do I start doing this online? Uh, at the same time, there are certain people looking to see who they can take advantage of that same way. So it's, it's something where we need to continually educate ourselves, try, try and understand as much as we can about the different platforms we're using, where are they based? How are they controlled? What are the security controls? What, what information is available out there about them? Uh, and, how, and how do we do that? And, it, and I think, you know, there are ways we can minimize the, the critical information that is shared across these platforms. And that's actually part of the, the risk analysis and the continuity of operations planning process to go forward. A lot of people are kind of kind of caught unawares or, or off guard by this. And, and how do we do this in a remote type of environment? How do we maintain that, that data integrity? But I think it's a lot of research and it's not, it's not a quick answer. You know, even the FBI InfraGuard won't go out there and InfraGuard does, does a lot of the, the information technology security uh, for partnerships with companies out there and everything like that. They're not going to be able to say, "List here's the three companies you need to go to," because that just really doesn't exist out there. And everything does require some work, and it's going to be some continued research on what we can do to see about platforms, how to use them, how to try and protect our information, how do we change our business model? How do we change our business model to try and minimize what we're doing across long haul as far as sensitive information or intellectual property? Uh, trying to look through that, so that's that is a challenge. That is a challenge for everybody right now, but it's it's something that's continuing. I think we're going to see a big change in infrastructure over the next few months and those type of things. But I think it's not an easy answer. Um, unfortunately, I wish I could, I could give you the you know here's here's the quick places to go, but it's going to require some research um, and trying to minimize. Uh, the risk that you've got out there, the information that you're sharing. I think that's probably the best part or the, the best way to go from it. Can you, because uh, we're, we're pushing, Glenn, and this has been such an informative conversation and I'm excited to continue having conversations. Don't, we're going to be tapping you for more and more questions as this goes on. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your company and what your main focuses are? Uh, certainly. And again, mentioned that I'm the, the principal consultant for uh, TBR Consulting. Um, TBR essentially stands for train and be ready. And, and really what, what our company does is provide consulting services and kind of a, a one-stop shop. You know, we're, we're a company that we can do from your basic facility security assessment 
to training for your employees, to emergency operations plans, whether it's writing one from scratch, whether it's updating something, we can do kind of that comprehensive package uh, from, from preparation, from analysis of your position, from the continuity of operations planning, to training and working with your employees or organizations about how do we deal with an active shooter? How do we do a training exercise where we implement we've got to now work remotely and things like that. So that's, that's kind of the niche that, that we're aiming for is to try and be that one-stop shop where we can integrate, and we've kind of touched on this a little bit too, but we integrate training into all those plans. You can have the greatest emergency plan in the world, the, but if no, none of your employees know what that plan is, you don't have a secession plan, you don't have some empowerment of your employees as to what they're supposed to do as far as that goes, um, you're, really, you're really kind of missing the boat on there. And that's, and that's where we bring that training aspect to that and try to bring all that stuff together in, in one big holistic approach. And that's, that's basically what TBR Consulting is. Great, Glenn, thanks for that. And can you share your website with us? Sure, absolutely. Again, at uh, TBR Consulting, you can find us online at www.trainbeready, all one word, .com. Well, that'll do it for this episode. I'd like to thank our guest today, Glenn Norling. Uh, Glenn, it's been great talking to you. Very insightful. Uh, always great to, to chat with you and, and catch up. Um, and it, we just, you know, we appreciate your time, your, your wisdom on this. Um, we think this is very tangible. Uh, topic and of course very timely so i'm brig barker uh, with the north group we thank you for tuning in take care be well and we'll see you next time on the north group podcast you've been listening to the north group podcast where security refined by intelligence if you have questions for us they can be emailed to info at tngdefense.com or visit our website at www.tngdefense.com Don't forget to subscribe and stay safe.